Welcome to the Explaining Extraordinary podcast, where we interview next-level game changers who are bringing you the secrets, strategies, and stories of how they transcended average to be extraordinary. Now here's your host, Dr. Chris Lee. Hello, super friends. Welcome to another episode of the Explaining Extraordinary podcast. Today is going to be fun, and it's it's one of those shows that I am so looking forward to because the gentleman that, you know, just kind of aligned in my life that I met has one of the most incredible stories of transformation. Like this guy did it on every platform. And that's all I'm going to say because the rest of the story is his to tell and there is no way that I could do it justice. So without further ado, let me introduce Dylan Slatery. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me on. And I'm not even sure how we got connected. I think I might have seen your show from a mutual connection of ours, Julian Rosen. That uh, is going to do it. Yeah. I checked out his interview and man, he's just a rock star. So yeah, uh, it's it's amazing how the world works. It's so crazy. Like the way I met him was like a one in a billion. Like there's no way we should have connected. And then to have like a mutual friend that is you with this story that like so aligns with what we're talking about here. Like, man, it's like so interesting how things like that, like they just fall into place like puzzle pieces. Yeah. I find that the less I try to control all the variables of the world and just let things flow into my life, uh, it, it gets more and more amazing each and every day. Cause there's uh there's someone, uh, I believe it's God that's, more powerful than all of us, you know, calling the shots. So when we, when we let him do his thing, it's incredible. Yeah. He seems to have a pretty, he or she seems to have a pretty solid control on that. Um, But man, that's a, that's a big point that I want to bring up down the road is flow versus force. Um, But man, tell us about you and your story because man, you, you sent me that information and I was like sitting there just like shell shocked, like could not believe that. Like you had like, survived like and like i'm not a big fan of the word survival but man like you survived that like it was an adventure like take us into that journey yeah it's been an interesting road for sure um i'm just a normal small town iowa boy that uh had some unforeseen circumstances come my way and you know through the help of a lot of people and who kept me going when i didn't want to and you know eventually found that strength and purpose in myself, uh, I was able to do just that, survive. And now what I've found is that my pain has become my platform. And so I'm Mm -hmm. just out here trying to help as many people as possible. So as you mentioned, there's a lot of variables to my story. Um, I am a two-time cancer survivor. Um, I'm a byproduct of suicide. My dad took his own life when my mom was eight months pregnant with with me. And so all of those things have have factored into my story but yeah i'm just happy and grateful to be here and share it with your audience wow how incredible and i don't know if you even know this because i didn't quite know that full part about you but um i'm also a suicide survivor my dad about three years ago um took his life too and wow how beautiful is this connection it just takes it to a deeper level yeah, and what I found is that the more vulnerable and the more I share this story is the more connections I, I get just like that. It's um, And all of a sudden, you're not alone in this world. And when you're not alone, 
not only does your purpose get bigger, but you find more strength. Oh, absolutely. And that was like a big point that you mentioned was um, being in that vulnerable state and letting that guide you to your purpose. Because, I mean, um, this is a big thing that I'm focusing on right now is, you know, diving back into purpose and then making sure that there's that passion there. Um, that I'm doing something bigger than myself, that I'm doing something bigger than my job. And like, you know, you know, as a, as a coach and speaker and author, like all of these things that it's so much deeper when you know that you're not doing it for the money, for the paycheck, but you're like helping people make that inner transformation. And that's something that they can take with them always. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Someone asked me like, um, I believe it was yesterday at a lunch, you know, what's the most interesting conversation or powerful conversation you've had after one of your talks. And I think, you know, I've done a lot in, you know, college athletics and corporate world, but the conversation that stands out most to me is uh, one that I had with a 13 or 14 year old girl. And she had literally give, given her favorite necklace away the week before I talked to this school and told her friend that she wouldn't be in class on, on that following Friday because she was planning on taking her own life and uh, through that friend intervening and uh, reaching out to get help for her best friend, she was able to, you know, um, prevent that from happening. And then in doing so, that girl got to hear my talk and, you know, the story of my dad and the other people that have impacted my life and helped, helped me find purpose along the way. And so you just talk about um, you know, it's great to speak on these huge stages and whatnot, but, you know, to have conversations like that, it just makes it all real. Wow, man. So real. Like that is, that's like an at home, like kind of thing. Like how do you find yourself having those conversations, especially after, you know, not just like experiencing or having suicide be a part of your life, but, um, Man, even when people like were starting to bring up like death around me um, after I'd lost my dad, like I was starting to get like choked up and like hadn't fully healed that. Like, how did you start that transformation? And then being able to like show and inspire and like, you know, show people hope. What's your process for that? If you don't uh, mind sharing some of that. Yeah, I think it's probably good at this point to take a, a few steps back. So, you know, growing up, I, I was the oldest of four boys. So my mom was remarried when I was two and had three more, three more boys with my stepdad. And so growing up, being the oldest, I tended to be the people pleaser, um, please my parents, please my mom, most of all. And so I was very good at doing all of the things, right? I was, I was good at checking all the boxes that was expected of me. So I got the grades. Uh, I was a four sport athlete in high school. And so it was it was important for me to uh, to make sure that I kept my parents happy. And so not only was I you know, doing well in class and on the field, I was an Eagle Scout as well. And so people saw me in this community as this kid who just could do no wrong. And that's great. But it also creates this environment where you have to hold up to that standard. And sometimes you get down a path that wasn't even meant for you. Um, but everyone around you expects it to be. And so I got to this point where in college, I was double majoring in economics, and I was going to be a high school social studies teacher and a baseball coach. And I got to my last semester, and things started to become a little less clear. 
I all of a sudden found myself questioning a lot of the things that I had done up to that point and was this truly what I was set out to do and then um, when I was right after my 22nd birthday I heard the C word for the first time so mm. my mom my mom had been after me about this mole on my neck and I kept blowing her off and so finally she just scheduled the appointment and told me that I needed to show up and so I got this mole checked out on my neck and it was it was melanoma which is the most aggressive form of skin cancer yeah and so what I knew about melanoma at that point again I'm, I'm 22 years old three years before that uh, one of my good friends from high school, he was 20, I was 19, he missed three days of college uh, because of these stomach cramps to the point where he couldn't get out of bed. And like this kid, one of the toughest kids that I knew, played football with him, wrestled with him, and uh, he wouldn't just miss class for no reason. And so finally his friends were like, you either need to go to class or go to the hospital. And so he went to the hospital and 17 days later he was dead because of one mole on the top of his head melanoma had you know penetrated the subcutaneous level of his skin and entered mm. his lymph lymphatic system and melanoma once it gets past your skin is one of the most aggressive forms of cancer out there so it heads right to your organs typically the liver and the lung and then it shoots right to your brain oh and my so gosh. yeah and so when i when i heard that diagnosis uh it was it was a bit of a wake-up call but to be honest with you uh i didn't I didn't take it for that at that point. I used it as an excuse to um, kind of slough off and, and coast into that last semester of school, especially considering, you know, I, I wasn't all that passionate about what I was studying at that point and was just really confused in a lot of ways. What was going through your head? Like, I'm trying to remember what I was doing at 22 um, and like worrying about like something that is quite literally life or death was not on that docket. It was like, okay, like I'm going to go hang out on Friday with my friends, go to class. Like what was going through your head? Like, man, that's intense. Yeah. At that point. So it was, it was, they surgically removed the, the, the mole on my neck and some of the lymph nodes in the surrounding area. So at that point it wasn't, um, stage four. So I kind of got, it was a wake up call, but I, I got lucky. And so it was, uh, they did the surgery and told me I was good because they didn't find anything in, in the lymph nodes in my neck, uh, to indicate that it was spreading. And so life went on. I moved home for the summer and coached baseball like I always did. And, uh, later that, later that year. Um, so in the fall semester we were, it was right around Christmas. And so I was in, in a car with some friends. It was one of their birthdays the week before, and this ice storm rolled through Iowa, as it tends to do in the winter. And I so, hear so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on our way home, we uh, crossed the center line in the truck that we were driving and hit the ditch, uh, went through this field, and then hit this creek bed, and that caused the truck to roll, I believe it was up to six times. And oh, my gosh. During that process, um, I was in the backseat behind the passenger, but one of my high school classmates, she was in the backseat behind the driver, and none of us in the backseat had seatbelts on because they were tucked underneath the seats and we couldn't get them uh, when we got into the truck. And so um, the next thing I know, I open my eyes and I can feel the glass, the grittiness in my mouth, and um, I look over and she's partially ejected from the truck. And so... Um, Pretty much everybody 
was in shock, except for me. And I think partly because at this point I was really numb. So I had turned to things like alcohol and drugs to mask reality. And I was, I was really trying to run away from things. And so I didn't go into shock that night. And so I, I pulled her out from underneath the truck and tried to resuscitate her, um, and, and shared the last moments of her life, um, before she passed away. And so that really caused me to go into this truly, truly dark place where I, I didn't want to be alive. And a lot of the conversations that were going on in my mind at this point were, God, why didn't you just take me in the car accident? Like Brittany mm-hmm. had so much to bring to the world and so much, she brought so much joy and her laugh was just contagious. Why didn't you just take me? Like, I don't even want to be here right now. And so, um, I was very, very confused and turned deeper and heavier into into the the things that the world offers us to uh, to escape with, and that's alcohol and drugs, and even something as simple as food and overeating. Mm. Oh my gosh, man! I I have to ask the question: Is like at that point, like things are like really stacking up? Like that's that's a extremely intense moment um and man it's like it it has me a little bit choked up over here to share somebody's last moments um that's intense things like where do you go from there as like a young man that has like witnessed quite a bit of death both you know personally as something like you know your body producing cancer and you fighting it off um and then something like this like you have to ask the question, like, why me? And I know, you know, I had moments like that in different perspective, but I I know I asked myself, like, why is this happening to me? Like, did, were you asking yourself similar things? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was asking myself was like, why is all of this stuff happening to me? Um, and it's it, it's easy to look back now. And, you know, when you're going through some hard times like that, probably the thing you hear most is, you know, everything happens for a reason. You just have to, to figure it out. And I think, you know, the better way to look at that is, you know, everything happens for a lesson if we're, mm. w- if we're willing to learn it. And so by asking that question a different way, you know, why me? Like, why, what is the purpose in, in all of this happening to me? Not, in, not in this bitter victim mindset, but of, again, I'm not the only one who's ever experienced this. And there's other people out there that are searching for help and don't know where to find it. And so that's the place where I eventually came to, but it wasn't at this point. And so I took the easy way out. And so I always challenge my audience, you know, in a world that's filled with cancer, and you can use that however you'd like, you know, a cancer in any given situation, are you going to continue to gossip in the break room? Are you going to you know, cast the blame on someone when you know you had a lot to do with things falling through? Or are you going to be a cure and take ownership and responsibility for your life? And so at this point, I was really being a cancer in a lot of ways. And I was deflecting. I was very angry and bitter. And um, you talk a lot about anxiety and depression on here. And it's I, I was in that place where I was up all night because I couldn't fall asleep really. And I believe it was because I was lacking progress in my life in a lot of areas. You know, I kind of come to this place where I wasn't seeing a ton of results. Uh, School wasn't 
bringing me that, uh, you know, joy and challenge that I used to get out of it. And so I was being a cancer. And so turning to drugs and alcohol, things only got worse. And so interestingly enough, on the 23rd anniversary of my father taking his own life, um, my friends reached out to my mom, not knowing the significance of the date at all. And they were worried that I was going to hurt myself or take my own life based on some comments that I made when I was under the influence. And so I woke up the next morning to her literally shaking me awake, um, saying, Dylan, are you, are you okay? And then the next question she asked was, why aren't you in class? And so this lie that I've been living, cause it was still being perceived that I was doing well in school and going to class and about to graduate. Um, all of this kind of came out at once. And so I'm, I had enough credits to graduate with a degree. So I left school and went home again and coached baseball for the summer. And that was really what kept me going during this time was the energy that I got from the kids that I was coaching and challenging them to be, honestly, at this point, it was like challenging them to be everything that I, I wasn't at that point in my life and trying to use what I was going through as a way to prevent them from experiencing the same thing and teaching the lessons through the game of baseball. And so, you know, I went home, coached baseball for the summer, and then that fall, literally 18 months after uh, this surgery. So all of this stuff happened in an 18-month span. Oh, my gosh. I, I was in Iowa City for a Iowa football game, so I'm a huge Hawkeye fan. And I was out that Friday night, you know, with my friends, having a good time. And got to bed late and woke up early to go tailgating because that was kind of my mantra at this point was you can't party all day unless you start in the morning. Oh, yeah. And, Solid philosophy, yeah. <laughs> That's science. That's just pure science. Yeah. And so I woke up after about six or seven hours of sleep and had this golf ball-sized lump underneath my jaw just an inch away from the scar that I had gotten, you know, just a year and a half before. And so I, I knew it was back, but you know, for the day I put that mask on as I had done so many times pretending that nothing was wrong. And I, I didn't know where this, this massive lump on my, on my jaw came from. Wow. There's okay. You are just unloading so much like beautiful information that I need to go back and hit a few things um, before we continue the story. Um, because there's, there's a lot that people need to hear, and I specifically am wicked curious about it. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is masking reality and how easy it is nowadays and how many tools there are to distract you from your own pain. And like you said, like you can have social media addictions. You can just go overeat. You can do whatever. I mean, there's so many different things. What was like the triggering factor that made you like bring it up to your awareness and say, okay, now I am here, like that big dot that says you are here, like where do I want to go and how do I get there type of thing? Like was there like a transformational moment? Like I know people always think like when you have stories like this, like, oh, the clouds part and uh, the angels sing and all things like that. But like was there a moment for you? Yeah, unfortunately for me, this moment doesn't come for about another two years. <laughs> yeah, so uh, even through all my treatments, so to to start back up again, like um, at that at this point, we went back up to Mayo Clinic where I had my initial surgery, and it was at this point where not only did they 
acknowledge that there was, you know, a, a tumor in my neck, but also I had tumors in my liver, lung, and then three tumors in my spine. So I was stage four melanoma, just like my friend was, you know, a few years before. And Which, correct me if I'm wrong, stage four melanoma is less than 12% survival rate. So at this point in uh, 2014, uh, based on the options that were available to me, since I had tumors in so many different places in my body, Mayo basically told me I was inoperable. <clears throat> and that, uh, so we chose to go to the University of Iowa at this point. And what they told me was that there's this experimental trial uh, treatment where they're basically combining two drugs that you know, have around a 5% effective rate in terms of treating melanoma. And in putting them together, they're hoping uh, that they can get better results than using them on their own. So five plus five is 10. So they were hoping that uh, my odds would be, they told me less than 15%. So, okay. Yeah. How does that make you feel? So uh, when I say that, how does it make you feel today? Like saying that, and how did it make you feel then? Uh, wow. That's an interesting question. So at that point, again, I was really numb. So, uh, the doctor literally looked me in the eye and, and basically told me I was probably going to die. And I didn't even flinch because again, I was just so numb. And meanwhile, my parents, my mom and my stepdad are sitting in the hospital room with me, uh, just breaking down, knowing that their oldest son is probably going to die. And I almost felt at that point that I had to be strong for them. And so that's where my strength came from at that point. Looking back now, um, what does that mean to me is that, you know, so often we think of, is the glass half full or half empty? Are you optimistic or are you pessimistic? But most often the glass isn't just half full. It's, and in, in my case, it was 15% full. You know, are you going to choose to look at the 15% chance that you do have, or are you going to look at the 85% that isn't there? And so that's what I chose to do. And basically through, through everything that I've gone through up to this point, I just, I truly dictated the conversation that was going on in my life. And so if anybody didn't believe that I was going to beat this, I, I pretty much parted ways with them for, for the time being, because I know how important belief is and I know um, the placebo effect is real. And so if you believe something is going to work, uh, it, it, there's a possibility that it will work. If you don't believe that it won't, that it will work, it probably won't. And so, you know, people kind of uh, overhype the idea of, you know, what you believe will become true. Um, but I believe it makes it possible. And so that's the approach that I took. I was very... I was very, very uh, careful about the energy of the people that I allowed in my life. And that includes nurses. So I don't know <laughs> what media you've listened to, but there is a story where I was in the ICU. So I spent four weeks in the ICU doing these experimental treatments every eight hours. So mm -hmm. three, time, three times a day for as many as I could take. And it, it, it took me to, to my knees and then some. But uh, there was this nurse and, and again, 99.9% .9 of my nurses were the most amazing people that I've ever met. And I'm still friends with quite a few of them. But this one in particular, I don't know if she was just having a bad day, but I truly felt like a burden 
in her sure. in her presence. You know, everything she did came with slumped shoulders, uh, kind of like this. You know how it goes, like the sigh of like, man, I yeah. don't want to do this, but I have to. Right. And it's like a job for her, and you over here literally fighting for your life. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so uh, I asked to have her removed. And fortunately, the the University of Iowa, you know, found another nurse for me uh, very quickly. And so we moved forward. But that like it was that extreme in terms of how particular I was with my with my energy. You have to be. So how old are you at this time? I'm 23 and a half. And you are literally like so like dialed into this because yeah, it's like, man, it, it's it's blowing my socks off literally. Like at twenty three, most people are like trying to like figure out what life is and who the heck they are because like at this point, your brain is like just starting to like finish forming, so you can actually have logical long term thoughts. And man, you are tapped into the system like energy like expenditure like knowing your environment like your focus has to be on that 15 percent like because it truly is a life or death situation um and there's one point that i do just want to go back to really quickly because you just hit on it really briefly but man it i've never i've never heard it the way you said it um and it was the why me versus why me and it was the way that you said it and one of them is fear and the other one is like expressive it's opening it's like the love like and in my world you know there's there's fear and there's love and there's all the shades of gray in between but there's like basically those two things and it was that really fine way that you said it that like hit me like a ton of bricks because it could either be why me why is more of this going to happen to me which is basically saying why is more life going to happen to me which is to me like hitting this news button in the morning like nope i'm good with life thanks versus why me and then it's life is happening for you like why have i been given this opportunity um and man i just really wanted to thank you personally for like just saying that the way you did because it it hit me hit me hard yeah it's one of those things where um you know now that i've shared my my story literally across the country and I'm excited to uh, share the stage with Katie Couric in September in New York City at uh, at an event for a cancer organization. No way. Uh, yeah, I'm super excited about that. How but, exciting. Yeah, man. But what I've learned, and again, this is so cliche, but, you know, there's mm -hmm. a saying that it's like 90 or 95 percent of communication is nonverbal. So it's not just what you say. It's more of how you say it. And so, again, it's like, how do you say how do you ask that question? Is it, man, like, why me? Or is it, why is this happening to me? Like, what what can I learn from this experience? And more often than not, through the conversations that I've had with other people, it's that it's the understanding that you're not the only one that is experiencing this or these feelings. Mm -hmm. And so if you can overcome, who can you help in doing so? And so that creates this purpose where it's bigger than you. And Anytime you can incorporate helping other people, that purpose just massively expands. Wow. And I, I know you said this is cliche and like, I always thought like all these personal development kind of like tricks and hacks were like so cliche, but man, like they really hit home and not to like totally dive down like the neuroscience hole, but the moment that you make the distinction to help somebody else in service of a greater cause it is literally turning on a portion of your brain 
that stimulates a complete reset of your immune system. And it's essentially a built-in gratitude practice that makes you healthier and stronger and happier. And you just get your body and your nervous system and your brain cascaded and bathed in these like neurochemicals that are just like blissful. Like it just makes you happy. So like, man, that's super cool that like you just have that kind of awareness. And dude, I can't wait to like hear and watch like the show that's coming up with Katie. Like that's awesome, man. Yeah, it's been incredible. Like I said, just being open. I didn't even know this. uh, That was a possibility. Um, And through silence, I was at this silent retreat a few weeks ago, um, where I'd been working with this organization on a few other things. And then all of a sudden, this opportunity literally presented itself out of nowhere. And um, like, like most things, it's, it's an absolute blessing. That's beautiful. So where where is that transition point happening? Because man, life is still like going on and I'm, I'm seeing the subtle shifts happening. Um, and this is something that we talk a lot about in our tribe is, you know, there's not these giant breakthroughs every day. It's the 1% a day that accumulates into these giant transformational lives. Like that's how you build a sustainable self practice and habits is that 1% a day. But man, when you had no other choice but to like really focus on what your environment was like who is feeding you energy and how are you getting it back do you still have practices like that that are okay so where is it like do you have like a reflection practice like what's that kind of look like for you nowadays yeah and it's interesting where that comes from because as i mentioned earlier you know i was fully focused on distracting myself from what was in front of me um up to this point and so as part of this trial series where I spent four weeks in the ICU, I was literally in bed for about 23 and a half hours a day. So the only time I got up was on the days where I would do physical therapy and then to go to the restroom. And that was about it. And so it was me and my mind for 23 and a half hours and I couldn't go anywhere and my mind wasn't going anywhere. So, um, I had a lot of people that, um, bought me books, um, to, to help me get through, you know, all of this downtime. And I didn't, it didn't all register with me just because of where my, where I was mentally, I was kind of out of it due to the treatments for most of that period of time. But it really taught me to, to be in a place where I could be comfortable just being me. And one of the most empowering things that happened, so there was a few things that happened when I was in the ICU, one of which was my mother, who, again, I had lived my whole life trying to please. But what I realized was she just wanted me to be happy all along. And for me to be happy, it was doing what I love. And so some of the most peaceful moments happened when I was most miserable, which is kind of a strange thing to think about. But I look over to my right as I'm in this hospital bed and I can see my mom who was with me the entire four weeks, um, laying on this inch and a half cot in a windowsill that's shorter than she is, and she's not very tall. So just the amount of dedication that she put into this and the amount of love that I felt at a time when I was certainly my weakest and very, I didn't want to be seen by a ton of people at this point because I was really, really weak to the point where I you know, I couldn't control things that we take for granted every day. And so when everything's taken away from you, especially your health, we go from having all of these wants and needs to really only having one, and that's to be healthy. 
And so the love that I felt in a time where I was very vulnerable um, made all the difference. And so it was through that where I felt the unconditional love of my mother, where I felt like, you know, once I get past this, like I'm living with house money because I don't, there's nobody that I have to please. In fact, if, if I do what makes me happy, the people around me will be happy. Wow. That, that's important. Like I, I say like, wow, that's really neat. But like, recognizing that you cannot be the people pleaser and that you really just need to be your genuine self like that that's a big point in life to kind of recognize because i i think um and i can only say this from my personal view that living in the expectation of what others want you to do is a great way to set yourself up for failure mentally spiritually emotionally however you want to call it and I think a lot of people hit that point and then they just kind of keep going and brush it off. But when you really lean into those passions and then build the self-awareness, build the practices, have the rituals and have like all those things kind of come together, like the world really opens up to you then. And I know that sounds cliche too. And like, I'm a huge like science, like I'm a tire kicker, like, but man, like the people that really live their passion, like and the gifts and recognize that things happen to them, but really are happening for them instead, like they get so successful so quickly because like they don't have anything holding them back anymore. It's just them and the world and them sharing their gifts. Like how awesome. Yeah. I think when you become curious in what you're interested in and truly pursue that, um, that's where we can differentiate ourselves from others. You know, so often in business, we talk about what's your differentiator and it's, it's the person that's most interested in a given topic. That's going to go the extra mile to, to acquire the skills, to make sure that, you know, that is what they spend their life doing. Mm. Boy. Yeah. Big point. So I want to go back and ask a pretty big question. So all of these experiences have occurred in your life and now that you're at a point now that you're not you know i'm not going to say that you know it's it's out of the woods or it's like you know not as bad but you're at a new place mentally physically and emotionally now that you have strategies built in and you kind of know who you are enough to say that this has happened for you so why do you think this did happen for you like why do you think all of these things happen for you yeah, it's it's interesting, and most often it's it's hard to see when we're in it because mm. emotions are felt, and you know feelings come into play, and uh, and it's when we're in that kind of survivor mode, we're not in a place where you know we can have these expansive and profound thoughts. But when we can take a step away from it, and you know, oftentimes that comes in the form of looking back and reflecting on it. Uh, we can start to see how the stars align. And so it's it's hard for me to believe that, you know, my friends uh, reached out to my mom on the 23rd anniversary of my dad by complete coincidence. And so that it's just one example of the stars aligning and, and people coming into my life at the right time. And so I truly believe that this thing happened, all of these things happened to me to be able to reach out and reach other people where they're at. Um, so when I was in the ICU for those four weeks, there was there was um, a series of events that happened. One of which was uh, we were in kind of pods in the ICU, and so 
the lady across the hall from me, she was quite a bit older than I was and in there for a completely different reason, but she passed away. And so it was, uh, it was nighttime again. It was just me in my mind. And, uh, there was a lot of silence at this point. And then all of a sudden she took her last breaths with her family there. And so I got to experience what that was like from her perspective in one way, because I was, I was laying in this hospital, hospital bed. And just a few days prior to this, you know, I had woken up in the nighttime with eight doctors around me, one of which was holding paddles, watching the screen, waiting for me to flatline so they could jump me. And so I had this near death experience of my own. And then all of a sudden I was experiencing, uh, someone else's death. And, you know, they were sharing all these memories and they were laughing and they were crying and the whole spectrum. Right. And I got to asking myself, you know, how would people remember me? And most importantly, how would my three younger brothers who had looked up to me their whole lives and, you know, based on these last two or three years up to this point, I hadn't provided them a very good example of of who they were supposed to be as men. And so that's when things started to shift for me where it was like you know i maybe i didn't know my why but i knew my who and sometimes that is all we need to get started is to know who we're fighting for boy that wow that is impactful man you're like hitting me like right in the chest with these things (laughs) how can people start to find that Right. Like if if somebody that is listening is, you know, not where they want to be today, they've always had this vision. um, And I know I talk to a lot of people that are like, you know, the life that I have now just isn't that dream life that I wanted. How do people get started in making that inner transformation or just the choice to look at the good things? Like, do you have any strategies that uh, you would want to share with us? Or like, you know, how have you done it personally besides, you know, just that self-awareness that you have is just like, man, like a superpower. Yeah, I think truly expressing how how you're feeling and, and what you're going through in a way that's um, constructive and productive. You know, I so often you look at social media and it's one of two things. It's either complaining or, or, or politics. <laughs> right. And, but it's like... maybe not (laughs) but in in complaining you're not seeking solutions Mm. but if you can if you can be vulnerable without coming off as complaining you know and say like this is what I'm feeling maybe I don't know why I'm feeling this way but you know it's what I'm feeling and and truly start to ask yourself some questions around the idea of like why am I feeling this is this fear-based where are these feelings coming from? Is there truth in these fears? And if there's not truth, where are these lies coming from? And really getting to the source of that fear. Because most often we fail to move forward and experience progress because we're held back and paralyzed by fear. And I believe that's a huge part of where this um, you know, anxiety epidemic is coming from is that we're expected to be someone that we don't want to be, and therefore we're paralyzed it because we don't want to to move forward in a way that won't be accepted. Wow, that is that's just killer, man. So I have a couple questions that I want to ask you. 
Um, you said that you were starting to read some books while you were in the hospital and you just had a lot of time with yourself. What are some of like your three favorite books that you got to get into and why? That's a good question. Um, one of the books that I, uh, I read was Outliers. And so it does a lot of what this show tries to do is explain the extraordinary. And in fact, when you do that, it pretty much shows that, you know, it's not all that extraordinary if you're mm -hmm. willing to put in the work. Right. And so the thing I'm supposed to ring a bell when somebody <laughs> actually uses the show name inside the show. The worst thing that can happen uh, in taking away from this interview is saying, you know, what Dylan did, I could never do. And I've heard that so many times, like, you're so strong, I don't know how you did it. And that's another thing where it's like, that can go to your head too. And you can believe that you did this on your own when, in fact, there were so many people that played a role in getting me to where I'm at today. But Outliers was good. Um, it just goes to show that through, uh, I mean, you talk about some of the stories in there in terms of, uh, you know, Bill Gates and some of the people that we seem to, oh, they just have it all going on and everything happened in the right way. But sure, the circumstances lined up, but they took advantage of those circumstances and put in the work to the point where, you know, they basically had a master's degree in working on computers by the time they graduated high school, simply because they spent so much time working on a computer in high school. Again, it's that curiosity translating into massive success. Yeah. And people don't see all the work that goes behind it. People like really focus on like, pointing the finger and say wow they just had like life handed to them or like the circumstances just lined up like i've gotten that a few times from like some old old friends that i haven't talked to since like middle school that'll say boy that just really happened well i'm like you haven't seen a quarter of the fails like it's it's there's so much of it but if you choose to see it in a different light and that it's happening for me as a lesson to learn and you have that curiosity like you can do anything. You can fail as many times as you want because you're just constantly learning. And failure is like the best teacher if you yeah. let it, if you allow it to be. Yeah. And I've been one of those people too. And I'm sure you have, you know, getting in the podcasting world and you'll see these people that are doing it at a much higher level. And it's like, man, you know, they had this thing. That's why they're successful. And it really what it is. And I'm just being blunt with people here is it's you letting yourself off the hook to continue playing small reach oh man that is yeah such a spot-on thing and i i talked about this um with julian is are you letting yourself get away with mediocrity like the mediocre life that you live like are you creating that every single day or are you making those little shifts every single day it's like you know don't eat the cookie or you know set time aside to like do these like success habits like those little things add up to big results yeah. One of my mentors who I, I love, uh, Jordan Montgomery, he always says, uh, small hinges swing big doors. Ooh, and I it, like uh, that. Yeah. And so it just, again, it's those small habits. It's not doing the big thing once. It's doing the small things every single day. That's going to translate into you having that massive success. Boy, that is, that is powerful. So as we start to wrap up here, I want to ask you the big overlapping question of all of this is 
if you could give one piece of advice to somebody listening right now that would help them step out of the life that they are in and step into the life that they deserve, that they have inside them, what would be a habit, a ritual, some transformational work that you've used that could help them lean into their better self, into their better life? Yeah, again, I think we've talked a lot about this is peace comes from progress. And Mm. so if you're having trouble falling asleep at night, if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling like each and every day you just get further and further behind, take a step back, take a deep breath and ask yourself, what is one thing that I can do today that at the end of the day, if I get that one thing done, I can have peace in my heart knowing that I'm one step closer to my goals than when I was when I started this day. And so I think if we can start there, maybe it's getting to the gym for the first time in six months. And that was a huge part of my journey. You know, when I was declared no evidence of disease in January 2017, I I was still 260 pounds. So although I'd lost 35 pounds in a month and a half in the ICU, I'd put all that weight back on and then some after my appetite came back, but my energy didn't. And so although I was deemed healthy and I'd crossed this finish line of beating cancer, what I realized was that it wasn't a finish line at all. It was the beginning of something new. And so I had to take that first step. And that first step for me was getting in the gym. And so physical activity was, has played a huge role in my life. And so that was the beginning. You had, you had asked that a few times in the interview is like, what was the light bulb moment? And it was when I was taken off the drug, because although you know, we get those, these packets of all the side effects and things that could come from these, these drugs that we get put on. And for the most part, I didn't, I didn't read any of them. I would always hand them to my mother because I, I didn't want to plant the seed of what could happen or what could go wrong. But one thing I constantly heard was you'll be fatigued. You'll probably feel fatigued. And so when we plant that in our mind, we begin to believe it. And so when I was taken off the drug, I said, whether this is in my mind or if it was real, it's, it no longer exists in my world because I'm not on the drugs anymore. And so I started going to the gym and then I, I realized very quickly that I couldn't work out five days a week and then continue to drink on the weekends because I would set myself back those five days. And so I, I cut the alcohol and then it was like, what more can I do? So I dropped 10 pounds and I plateau. And then each time I plateaued, I'd ask myself the same question. And I got this question from John O'Leary, who was one of the guys on my on my podcast. And he, he wrote a book called On Fire. And he poses this question each and every day. Uh, what more can I do? Mm. And so in doing that, you know, I I cut the alcohol and then it was tightening up my diet and then shortening my rest periods at the gym. And so, again, it's like, what more can I do to get me closer to the results that I want? And in doing so, I mean, here I am two years later, I I dropped 60 pounds in 18 months. And now I'm pursuing this. I call it uh, trying to turn this calling into a career. I feel like I've been called to speak and share my story. I I never took a took a class in college on public speaking or anything like that. Um, in fact, the first time I was ever sh- spoke on stage was at a Relay for Life, sharing my testimony, and I wasn't even uh, I wasn't even cancer free at that point. Wow. And so, 
And so, again, it's like I, I feel called to do this work. I feel called to reach out to people who are struggling and, and help them get to a place where it's not just about their battle. It's about anybody else who's experiencing those same things because we can find strength in these stories. And so I hope this story reaches the one person that it needs to that's looking for that strength and 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 hasn't found it up to this point. But today's a great day to start anything great. Oh, so beautifully said. So beautifully said. If people want to reach out or connect with you, where can they find more information about what you do and who you are? Yeah, so my website is uh, stage4toonstage.com. So that's where you can find um, my podcast and and my email so you can reach out to me if if uh, if any of this resonated with you. And so you know, a lot of what I do is speaking on stage. So if you want me to speak at your next event, you can find me there as well. And uh, yeah, I, I have my own podcast where I interview other people about overcoming adversity. And it's not cancer specific, but I've interviewed people who have survived the Rwandan genocide at nine years old, all the oh way to my gosh, yeah, to people who have been burned on 99% of their body and lived to tell the tale and now are inspiring hundreds of thousands every year. So it's, again, it's just, you know, same thing with what you're doing. It's taking something that was traumatic and turning it into something that is just so powerful, so profound, and and just creating massive amounts of impact. Mm. Wow, man, Dylan, thank you so much for coming on here, man. Like, this has been absolutely beautiful. I personally cannot wait to go back on and take a listen to this because you just like dropped so much valuable content. Like, man, I'm wicked excited to go back. I can't wait to have you back on too, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Chris. And uh, I look forward to continuing to get to know you and, uh, and your listeners. So Beautiful. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. God bless.